Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to this edition of V Radio. Uh, if this is your first time checking out V Radio, please visit my website, v or minus or dash radio.org. Uh, there you can find more archives of more shows like this one, interviews with documentary filmmakers, scientists, activists, politicians, the few good ones, um, and a lot of great roundtable discussions of basically current events that are of importance to activists from many different groups. Um, although most of my content is zeitgeist movement oriented, there's a lot of other good content on V Radio that people from different backgrounds, um, at least you know as far as socially conscious people, can find interesting. I've had interviews with Stefan Molyneux. I've had interviews with um, Charlie Veach of the Love Police. Uh, so basically, lots of different kinds of backgrounds are covered on my show. Um, I, v Radio is a listener-supported effort. If you would like to donate, you can go to my website and click the Donate tab. I have a donation widget up there, and basically my goal is just to make a couple hundred bucks a month for my time on this. Um, it, donate if you can, but you don't have to. Um, v Radio is always free. So give, with, give to it what you think, you, you think it is uh, as far as its value. <laughs> um, so... Uh, all of that said, I want to welcome my guest, George. Is it Donnelly? That's right. Hi, Neil. How are you? Not too bad, man. Um, I uh, basically read one of your articles some time ago, and while your article uh, was uh, was aimed at libertarians, I think that this article uh, called 11 Reasons to Draft Dodge the Libertarian Guerrilla Army is something that people from all walks of life in the activist world should be reading. I mean, I think uh, even like the the anarcho-communists, uh, even the you know the uh, other anarchist types who've talked about you know violent revolution should take a very good close look at this. The various people who flirted with the idea in the Tea Party and, and groups like that, you know, everybody has a reason um, that they should check this out. So. Um, First of all, before we get started on that, George, I have a tradition on V Radio where I always ask a new guest, uh, what was the precipice moment for you? What was the moment that made you go from being just someone who was kind of part of the world to someone who decided to become an activist and actively try to make it better? Well, there were two things. First, uh, my son was born, and I started to think more seriously about my principles and about you know the way the world was going. And the second one was in 2009 when Julian Heichlin, who's a former chemistry professor at Penn State, was uh, really manhandled and, and arrested and mistreated by uh, police across the country when he was handing out uh, jury nullification pamphlets. And it really upset me uh, to see an, old, an older gentleman treated like that when all he was doing was handing out information um, and that, that's what really got me out there, um, and um, it, actually, it actually led to a real um, saga where I got arrested and whatnot. But, um, but th- those are the two things that really uh, got me going down this path. Well, for all the things that people could ever find themselves arrested for, I would say that is definitely one that you know, uh, is definitely on the noble side. Uh, and... Uh, Coming out of that, I guess, uh, is when, because, I mean, obviously you're a libertarian activist. How did you get exposed to libertarianism? Uh, Back in 1993, a friend of mine gave me um, The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand, and I read all of Rand's work, and I really enjoyed that. 
Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't quite agree with all of it, but I, I do think there's a lot of uh, substance there and a lot of uh, very sensible things. And then um, around 2007, I discovered the idea of voluntarism, and, um, and that's kind of how I came to libertarianism. All right. Well, excellent. Um, now, George, uh, a lot of the things that were in uh, your article uh, that I have, by the way, if you're listening to this broadcast, if you go to the description of this radio show, you can find the URL to the article in question. Um, and basically, George, when I read this article, these are all things that I've been thinking for a long time myself. And in particular, like, you know, when I was involved in the Occupy movement, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, there's definitely people that were talking about, you know, armed revolution, but, you know, like if it ever came to it or what's your limit or when should it happen? And, and it's definitely something that people were very uh, cavalier about without probably really thinking about what they were talking about. You know, when we're talking about activists in general, um, you know, these are like, I, I spent time as a libertarian activist as well. Um, I was part of the Libertarian Party. I, was, uh, I ran for Congress as a Libertarian in Michigan's 10th District, and I was a Libertarian mm -hmm. delegate to the 2008 um, convention. And I've got to say, I had a lot of great memories there, but at the same token, I wouldn't ever want to be in a military situation with any of those people. <laughs> like, I just, I could not imagine, you know, okay, you know, because it would, it would be the same way also even from an, from an Occupy perspective. Um, Occupy is very horizontal, and you, there's, you can't organize an army that way. Are we going to throw jazz hands up if we think we should, you know, ambush the enemy? <laughs> you, know, um, you know, stuff like that. It just it doesn't work. And, you know, so we'll, we'll definitely, I think what we should do to make sure that this is organized is I'll take it point by point. Um, first, let me read your, your introductory here. Uh, when do we launch the armed resistance? That is the question bouncing around the libertarian anarchist social media scene and blogosphere over the last few days. At what point do we stop risking arrests, stop pamphleting, stop speaking out, blogging, YouTubing, and all the other stuff in favor of picking up arms and dropping cops and IRS agents by the dozens? <laughs> should reasonable people even take this question seriously? Yes, the question should be taken seriously. Government is the use of aggression by one group of people to get what it wants from others. Over the last decades, the U.S. government has ramped up its use of aggression. Foreign wars, tax collection and rates, police abuse, and lack of accountability, the widening gap between rich and poor, persecution of minorities on an increasing scale, and a longer list of political crimes, digital surveillance, and the extinction of privacy. All of these issues and many more examples uh, are of, of tyranny loom large. It is entirely reasonable to initiate a conversation about when, if ever, each of us is willing to take up arms in defense of our human rights and dignity. There is a valid concern that if we wait too long, the noose of government control will tighten around our collective necks and it will be too late to do anything to stop or reverse the trend. That time, however, is not now, nor is it any time soon either. Here's why. And we start with one, it's impractical. Do you want to expand on that or should I read from what's here? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just really impractical because we're a tiny, tiny mi minority. And um, of those of us, you know, an, an even smaller percentage of people, of, of us as a tiny minority, are even interested in, in doing that. So, Right. And that's basically, I mean, the things you bring up here in the blog, 
you know, libertarians are a minority, a tiny minority of that group. A small percentage is interested in launching armed resistance. Of that insanely small group, most are big talkers who don't have the equipment, training, fitness level, freedom from addiction, discipline, or mindset to be guerrilla warriors. Most libertarians I know are focused on staying economically afloat, feeding their kids, getting a better job or a nicer house. They're not interested in armed rebellion. Think about Larkin Rose's Tiny Dot video. Now reverse roles. The libertarian guerrilla army is the tiny blue dot, and the rest of the world is all those other dots. And you get a sense of what you're up against. Furthermore, guerrilla warfare, you can't find a... can't field a force of regulars depends on the support of the local population. You don't have that. And I'd say that, yeah, that's definitely a very uh, strong assessment. I actually just, out of um, interest, I've always had a fascination with strategy. And um, I picked up this Marine Corps handbook on assessing, like, um, you know, guerrilla units. And it's basically mm-hmm. what, this, the unit, the, what the military learned from Vietnam. And Vietnamese soldiers, uh, the Viet Cong, um, even just the, the peasant farmer guerrillas were extremely devoted, extremely disciplined, fearless people who would happily lay down their lives individually for the good of what, you know, of their country. Mm-hmm. And that's not, I mean, there are a lot of people, like you said here, they, they talk a big game and maybe they own an AR-15 or something. But in many cases, they don't even own weapons. You know, right. you're, you're talking about activists who are like, well, people will uprise and, you, you wonder how many of those people, when the uprising actually happens, are just going to be, you know, hopefully cheering you on while they're standing there not taking any bullets. Right, and they're, they're, they're overweight. Um, you know, one of the most prominent people who was talking about this that prompted me to write this is, has a known problem with alcohol. Um, and another person who talks about this frequently, um, you know, has, like, drug charges pending. Um, and so, like, it's like, so you, you're going to have an army full of drunks and drug addicts? I mean, come on. What, what is and, that? That's just insanity. And undisciplined drug addicts at that, you know, uh-huh. people are going to be willing to, you know, give up their, their creature comforts because the guerrillas in Vietnam lived an extremely harsh lifestyle. Like, mm-hmm. the analysis that I got about it was was very revealing, and in many cases, these people were existing on very little food and you know i think that um at the end of the day uh, you know i do believe that there are some actual quote-unquote patriots who would certainly turn into freedom fighters in the event that it comes down to that you know but you're absolutely right like you know i thought about it myself and i'm like uh, i'm definitely out of shape there's no way i could be a gorilla i can't even run anymore um you know i've got some permanent health problems that created that it wasn't just due to laziness but the reality is is that um i've got um, some issues in the joints of my ankles that basically make it permanently impossible for me to run, even if I did lose a bunch of weight. And it, so, in other words, I'd be—I'd probably be if something such a thing ever happened, I could be like a strategist or an analyst, you know, analyst to help other people. But I couldn't get in it myself. So it's like, why would I ever ask anybody else to do something I can't risk myself to do? And this is not unique to the to the right side of this issue in in Occupy. We would frequently have people who um, were very big on talking a great deal about what we should be doing at the camps who weren't camping. You know, hmm. <laughs> it's like, well, you guys should be resisting the cops and you should make them throw you out of that place. And they're all like, that's great. Are you, are you going to be there? Hmm. No, I, I didn't think you would. <laughs> uh-huh. so it just It's the same thing is that I don't, especially in America, because we haven't had a real war 
in the streets of America, it, it, like, geez, I mean, what, the... Eighteen twelve? Yeah. Or, or no, sorry, the Civil War. Civil War. Yeah, the Civil War. And that was a totally different era. Like, people nowadays, they have no freaking clue what they're talking about when they bring this up. Um, you know, so I guess that, that kind of brings down the impractical issue um, as far as, like, what you could do, especially especially some of these people who are very anti-military, and I get that. I understand why. And the problem is, is that you can't hope to defeat disciplined soldiers unless you're willing to live like a soldier. And I don't think most of these people could handle that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it'll take – I mean, don't get me wrong. There are things that could motivate you. I'm very, very uh, confident to say that if fascism rolled in, you know, rolled in, that eventually more and more people would take up arms. But – I think that it's it's it I think some of the loudest people that are talking about it now would be probably be the first to get shot. <laughs> well, they would they would be the first to run away. Um, <laughs> they just, you know, it's I think it, it's a thing you have to guard against. Um in activist circles, talk is cheap. And you you know, you have to discriminate more and see who are the people who are actually doing work and who are the people who are just running their big mouths. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and always there's always, you know, the ideology in a skeptical place because some people get so deep into their ideology, whichever ideology it may be, that they start suspending uh, their own self-interest, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, okay, the world's, the world's going to, the, the dollar's going to collapse next month, so I'm going to invest all my life savings in guns and firearms and MREs and stuff like that. And, and that's stupid. It, it's not going to happen. People have been uh, predicting that the dollar is going to collapse since at least 1970, if not before. Um, and so it's likely not going to happen. And that, that's the kind of thing where – and this is another thing, you know, we've got to go to war. We've got to go fight them in the streets. And so people are like, okay, well, I'm going to invest my life savings in guns and firearms and, you know, you know. And then you fall into this trap. And it could be, you know, that, that could be one way that people – get into this kind of lone wolf, terrorist, kind of uh, self-destructive thing that we see, um, you know, the less sane personalities, perhaps. But anyway, um, so where we were, basically we were at is it's contradictory to our message is the next part up on this. Um, Libertarians stand for life, liberty, and property. Most of the people in the world today haven't heard of this, I dare say. Those that have a huge number misunderstand us as selfish people who don't care about others and want you to consider killing their family and friends, you know, and you want to consider killing their family and friends to work for, who, you know, who work for the government, does that communicate the message that we care about those dead people's lives, their liberty, their property, especially their property interest in themselves? If you find the self-ownership principle to be coherent, no, libertarians will become even more misunderstood, will be the new anarchist menace, read crazy bomb-throwing assassins, will be scapegoated for everything that goes wrong, those of us who turn to violence will give the rest of us the bla- give the rest of us a black mark. Have you ever heard of Sacco and Vanzetti? Get ready for Rose and Cantwell. <laughs> <laughs> Cantwell is that the Cantwell? I think it is. Um, um yeah, the loudmouth guy. Oh my goodness! I yeah, his first name. I, I know that guy. <laughs> we'll talk about that another time. But anyway, um, no, I, I definitely see where you're going with this because basically. It, 
a violent revolution plays immediately into the hands of the state in a situation like this because it basically paints anybody who has our freedom-minded ideologies as terrorists. It, mm-hmm. it pretty much just invites us to be labeled as terrorists. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, so basically, um, I don't think that people are, are thinking it through uh, when it comes to this because overall, uh, they control the media you know, they control what the soldiers hear. They control what the police hear to some degree. You know, and all we have to do is start being violent to play into exactly the, the script that they have written for us. Right, yeah. And, you know, it's, I mean, libertarians and, uh, and other people who aren't Democrats and Republicans, we already have enough trouble getting across who we are, what we stand for, what we're trying to do. And now we're going to go out and we're going to be like, hey, you government people, you know, we're just going to kill you, you know. Mm-hmm. And so people who already misunderstand us or don't, under, or don't even know anything about us, like that libertarian killed my brother, you know. And so it's going to like ruin us for hundreds of years. I mean, people aren't going to forget that. And if you look at a situation like uh, in Colombia and South America, where there's a guerrilla war being go- has been going on for... Oh, at least 50 years now, and uh, at least 80% of the population um, is really against the guerrillas because they they just they're they it's like they're completely separated from society. These guerrillas, there's little communication going on. They have um, you know the image of as terrorists and drug dealers, and the government you know says they're trying to negotiate for peace, and the guerrillas don't want it. And meanwhile, the guerrillas are attacking uh, villages and uh, taking hostages and ransoming them and whatnot. And so it's just like everybody hates them. Um, everybody, you know, the great majority of people want at this time, um, you know, in the year 2013, they want to get get along, um, growing their, you know, their comfort profile. They want to have a bigger TV. They want to have a larger apartment. They want to have nice clothes. And so, you know, if you, you ruin that for them, I mean, they're just going to hate us. I mean, they, they need to understand. Um, and right, we're up against a really hard thing here because basically the system as it is kind of bribes people into supporting it. You know, if you support it and you take a job and you pay your taxes and you vote and all that, well, you can receive benefits and, you know, you can get a salary and here's Walmart with these cheap Chinese imports and you can get a cheap TV, you know, um, clothes from a sweatshop, and, um, you know, so that, that's, that's really seductive. Right. And we're going to have to figure out a smarter way to counter that before we ever think about getting violent. Well, I mean, and besides, like you said, and it's like a critical aspect of the success of guerrilla warfare is you must have the, the support of the people. Like, it literally won't work if you don't. You will just, mm-hmm. it'll be basically like being a gang of criminals. You won't be seen as freedom fighters. You know, winning hearts and minds is absolutely critical, and it's something we could not do as the United States in Vietnam. Um, and that was largely just due to the nature of that war. Guerrilla warfare uh, brings out the worst in humanity. It is literally a war where essentially your job is to frustrate the enemy as much as possible. And any human psyche exposed to that for any length of time is inevitably going to be in a position where atrocities are going to come up. Like the, the My Lai massacre 
came about after a group of soldiers ironically had not even engaged the enemy. They were traipsing through the jungle for weeks and weeks, getting killed by landmines and pit traps and stuff like that. And so by the time they had gotten to the village, that was the first people they had seen in weeks. And so they blamed these people for everything that had happened to them the entire way, and that caused them to go, you know, just psychotic, and then they started murdering innocent people. You know, it's guerrilla warfare, if you don't have the support of the commons, you know, you are doomed to fail. You know, mm-hmm. and moments like that, obviously, the My Lai Massacre, it's like, I remember when I was watching the movie Platoon, there's that scene where they light that, you know, village on fire because they suspect that they might have been V.C. And as they're walking away from the burning village, I'm like, well, if they weren't V.C. before, they certainly are now. <laughs> you know, you just did an excellent recruitment drive for the communist forces in, in North Vietnam. Great job, you know. And they're still doing it today in Pakistan and Afghanistan. Right. And that's it, it basically, in many cases, these people don't get it, and it does not support where we're going. Um, from the Zeitgeist Movement perspective, when it comes to nonviolence, a lot of it is also just because, you know, um, I think there was a John Lennon quote about this. You know, as soon as it comes down to use, you, you needing to use violence, you know, then you're, you're on their level. That, that's where mm-hmm. they want us, because that's what, that's what they have. That's when it comes down to the monopoly on force. You know, he pointed out you can't, you can't do things like humor. You know, they don't understand humor. They don't understand art. They don't understand, you know, a, a lot of the other ways that people from both, you know, the, the left and the right of the, the quote-unquote libertarian world, um, you know, how they do things. And that's why we make them so nervous. You know, they'll flick your nose and pick your beard with, or pull on your beard was what John Lennon said to try to get you to fight them because that, that's what they understand. They understand the use of force to subjugate and oppress. Right. They're prepared for that. That's what right. they train for. And that's, that's their game, you know, and our mm-hmm. game is to counter that. So, and I guess, you know, it's like, well, so here we are where we, you know, like whether you're a right, leaning market libertarian and you say so yeah we're for the non-aggression principle please join our liberation army yeah we blew up the bank the other day and one of your Hmm. kids probably got hurt Um, but but hey it's all part of the greater you know plan it's for the greater good (laughs) (laughs) how is that going to work out for you you know it's not you know anyway so um, I think what we're going to end up doing, because this is a great article and I want to go through the whole thing, and I know we don't have the time for all of it, and I'm also going to be able to edit out some of the stuff that we, we said while we were trying to discern if we were going to keep going, but I figure what we'll do is do this in segments because there's so much in here and I really want to go over all of it and I don't want to rush it. So, um, But number three, it will lead to another state. Violence brings, violence brings out those who are good at it. If you care enough about violence to get really good at it, you expect to benefit from it. What better, better way to profit than by becoming a state? By starting an armed conflict, you will quickly bring out all of the really violent people. They will either vote you out of control of your army or just kill you and take it over. Armed resistance would change nothing in the end. You would simply replace one violent group with another. In fact, in order for a libertarian guerrilla force to become successful, you will need to demand with force of arms that civilian libertarians finance and feed your army. Just as Hezbollah tightly controls the people in the area it holds, in order for a libertarian guerrilla force to be successful, you will need to control the libertarian civilians in coercive ways. Good luck with that. <laughs> no, that's absolutely true. Like I, you know, and that's true once again of either of right or left-leaning anarchists. You you couldn't go into an occupy camp, you know, and force anybody to do something, you know, 
um, so basically, I, I think that um, overall, uh, this is definitely a very important point, um, and that is that you know, if we're toppling things through violence and not through simply changing the way people think and changing the ideology and changing the culture, you know, you're you're doomed to fail. This is um, in the zeitgeist ideology. People tend to ask me, well, you know, do you guys honor the non-aggression principle? And I said, well. Um, the non-aggression principle is not spelled out in the same terms, and, but to us, it's not just about morality of not hurting people. It's that such things create more violence. Like, even from a strictly logical, rational perspective, if you want to evolve to a society that's, that doesn't need police and soldiers anymore, using police and soldiers to control people is a great way to ensure that you still need police and soldiers. <laughs> you know, you can't just turn them off overnight, but, you know, when you are trying to achieve a society that either A, you know, simply understands and follows and values the non-aggression principle from a libertarian perspective, or a society that just simply respects peace because it's logical and rational, either way, um, using violence to achieve those ends is not going to do it. You know, like mm. when you think about the violent Bolshevik re revolution and the the harsh um, extremist uh, fascist that it left in its wake, you know, those people were changed by what they did when they slaughtered all of those, uh, you know, those monarchs and, you know, basically the various, the various monarchs in, in Russia. Mm -hmm. You know, they were never the same. And, you know, the, the Leninist regime was, you know, well, a bit more mellow than Stalin, it was by no means a peaceful place to live. <laughs> you know, um, and that's why I think that uh, it, it, in the end, uh, people like Martin Luther King did more to change society and the way things work than I think any armed revolution has ever accomplished. And although there was violence, it wasn't, you know, it was violence that was done in such a way to make it extraordinarily clear who the bad guys were, because mm -hmm. the bad guys were the ones committing the violent acts, beating up the people who weren't resisting. Um, you know, and that's, I think, a, a more realistic model for how we're going to be able to change things, um, at least from my perspective. Do you have any commentary on that? Yeah, um, yeah. Just, you know, violence has a kind of its own logic behind it, if you can call it logic. You know, once violence starts, and this is really the core of libertarianism, it's, it, it recognizes this fact that once violence starts, you know, stopping it becomes extremely difficult. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I might start it with the best of intentions and then, you know, build up this little army. But then the, the logic of violence takes over and, you know, um, you know, people are going to call for somebody even more violent. You know, like you got you. So I might say, okay, we've been violent enough. You know, let, let's not take it too far. And then somebody else, you know, will be like, no, we got to be even more violent. You know, so they really understand that, uh, you know, that we're serious about it. And like, no, 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 no. And then so I'm voted out of being general or whatever. I'm deposed. There's a mutiny. And then the really violent guy takes over right. who doesn't have any ideological. Um, attachments. He's just into violence, and so it just devolves. And then an even vi more violent guy takes over, perhaps, and then all of a sudden everybody forgets why they're fighting. And that's something I think that's happened to these Colombian guerrillas that I mentioned earlier. They got wrapped up into the drug trade. And then, you know, you, they, I, you have the question, like, what are they really fighting for anything anymore? Does their ideology, ideology mean anything to them? 
or has it, is it just cover for an ongoing criminal operation? And if they did manage to take over, and it, or in the areas where they do control, aren't they just another controlling state? You know. Um, well, right. So and we that's... don't we don't get anywhere. We're not getting anywhere. We're we're actually going in the wrong direction. Right. It was like the the uh, the Irish Revolution in Ireland. Um, a lot of it came down to the fact that uh, people would join the Irish Republican Army, and then the fighting would start. And then they're in it now to avenge their brother who was killed by some British police officer. Mm-hmm. The cause is a secondary issue at that point. Well, then you go kill that British police officer. And now that British police officer's cousin has joined the British police force so that he can get revenge for his dead brother. And then it just goes on and on and on and on and on. You know, and like you said, it, it doesn't end. It just creates more of itself. It, it's It's like trying to put out a fire with gasoline. Um, And I think that in the long run, uh, people definitely don't understand, you know, the long term of that. And I think, especially in the United States, once again, we come back to this, that people historically don't remember what the hell it's like to have war right there in their face. Hmm. You know, they like, they know what it looks like on CNN, (laughs) you know, (laughs) with, with embedded, uh, you know, establishment, um, you know, people, Right. Uh, that are that are making sure that it looks very homogenized and and sterilized to us. And who censor all the gore? Right, which that was another thing they do. I mean, obviously, is to keep us. You know, I keep coming back to Vietnam. You know, well, the reason Vietnam ended is because it was the first time that kind of stuff was allowed on TV, and people got to look at it up close. Hmm. Um, and uh, before we get too much onto that segue, there was an episode of Star Trek that I bring up from time to time, and this was the old Star Trek. They come to this planet where the people had decided that the, war, the horrors of war were too terrible, so they waged war entirely by computer. And if you, you were killed in the computer simulation, then you had to go report to a disintegration chamber. Wow. And because they got rid of all of the gore of war, it went on for thousands of yeah, thousands and thousands of years. <laughs> so Captain Kirk, of course, you know, just saying, screw the Prime Directive, decides to blow up the computer. And then both sides are like, uh-oh. What do we do now? <laughs> you know, because they they didn't know what to do. It's like, well, uh, are we gonna fight for real now? No, that's barbaric. Why don't we just stop? Oh, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> you know, um, but anyway, uh, I, I definitely uh, agree with you on that. Um, I think that people are are def- you know, I mean, like, well, well, let's look even back to like the American Revolution, um, you, you know, which was necessary from their perspective, but people. Uh, definitely um, we're looking at it like, well, okay, so does this mean George Washington's going to be our new king? You know, like there were people who wanted that to happen. Like he had to go, uh, you guys do remember why we're doing this, right? (laughs) You know, know, he had to turn it down. But no, it was the natural inclination of, well, I've got the power now, but it's okay because I'm a benevolent military dictator because that's always worked out in right. history like never <laughs> um, so we'll do one more and then I know you need to go uh, it limits okay. your options if you continue with nonviolence, your option to use violence is always there if you go violent the road back to nonviolent action will be very hard to say the least because people will not trust you again you will be barred from certain employment options because your past will show up on your background check You won't be able to live in the nicest neighborhoods. You will be discriminated against and watched more closely by internal security forces. 
It will be easier to frame you on trumped-up charges. It is hard to get a jury to nullify now. Or no, is it hard to get a jury to nullify now? You just wait. Consider the FARC guerrilla army in Colombia. You mentioned this a little bit ago. After Mm -hmm. decades of armed rebellion, they attempted to return to the ostensibly nonviolent action by participating in elections as the Patriotic Union. Perhaps as many as 6,000 of those UP candidates, many of whom won political office, were assassinated over the next few years. Going violent means you don't come back home unless you win. It's all or nothing now. Um, I think we kind of talked about that um, a little bit already, but uh, you know, just to kind of emphasize that is that once you've headed down that road, it's kind of like Yoda on your path, you know, like on your back, saying, "Once you've headed down the dark path, wherever will it control your destiny?" <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll nerd out a little bit more since now we've done Star Trek and Star Wars. <laughs> you know, it's I don't think that people get um, what what's going to happen when once that happens, especially not in when it's in our streets. You know, happening to our people, our children getting killed. You know, I think that it will awaken something. You know, I mean, in the long term, maybe people would get a chance to see the horror of war again and remember how terrible it is. I don't really hope. I really hope that that isn't necessary. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I hope that's not a growing pain that we have to go through. So, um, yeah, I don't think I don't think it it is necessary. But I do think that a lot of us suffer from general laziness mm-hmm. um, and, and despair because we see we have these great ideas and a lot of us are idea people and you know about where we want society to be and where society is is really far away from where we want it to be um, you know whatever our, our vision is here among those of us who are activists or and you know kind of people um, you know, anarchists and of all stripes, libertarians, zeitgeist folks. Our visions are all pretty radical, pretty different from where we are. And so you see that, that gap, and that, that, can, that can provoke despair. Um, I, I saw one guy I, I know recently posted that he, if he, he said, if he doesn't think that, you know, we can achieve... Our, our vision in our lifetime, then he's like he just doesn't see a reason to live, um, and that's that's kind of ridiculous um, on one level, but on another level, it, it does really show how how far we can fall into despair by just seeing the difference. But it's it's for me, it's really a challenge, and I think we should all see it this way, and we should, you know. A lot of us kind of want to jump there in one step, and that's like the lazy way, you know, like when you're carrying groceries, instead of making a few trips, you try to load up on 20 plastic bags and make one trip. Um, This is not going to work this way. We're not going to be able to realize our visions in just one giant leap. We need to make a plan. We need to talk to each other. Uh, We need to work on that plan over a long period of time with forming new habits and working on a daily basis. Um, and that, that stuff's hard. That's really hard, especially the working together part, because um, at least uh, you know, in the anarchist and libertarian camp, so many of us are individualists, um, and, and take, we've, we've almost caricatured individualism to the point where um, you know, we, we, don't, we don't want to recognize the validity of other people, uh, we don't want to work with anybody. We just want to go our own way. And that, that's not really individualism either. That, that's really a caricature of it. Um, but 
so yeah, you know, I think that that we have to recognize that there is a big space there. It's going to take work, and individually, we need to work on our on our you know collaboration skills and our our patience and our empathy, because um, you know if we don't, then we're just running our mouths uh, with no intention of actually you know living what we what we preach. Absolutely. I think that's a good place to stop this segment, George. Thank you very much for coming on V Radio, and I apologize for the uh, unexpected uh, issue, but um, we have agreed. No worries, Neil. It's been my pleasure. We're going to come back on Wednesday and discuss this issue. Um, And to those of you tuning in uh, now on the archive, thank you for tuning in to V Radio. Um, if this is your first time visiting V Radio or listening to V Radio, please check out my website, V Radio or V Radio.org. Uh, there you can check out more archives of shows like this one. And if you like what you hear, please consider a donation. Thanks again, everybody, and I will see you next week with the second part of this discussion. And George, I will talk to you a little bit off the air. Okay. That was the end of a great conversation that uh, George Donnelly and I had. Um, there was a bit of a technical difficulty that caused me to have to edit the file and reschedule the episode. So we are going to continue this conversation later on the radio. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this talk and you can again check out the blog that this conversation is based on in the description of the show. Um, Please consider a donation to V Radio. I'm now basically working part-time for you guys again, the listeners of V Radio. Thanks again, and if you have any show ideas that you would like to bring up, I am open to those. I am still looking into the show uh, with Michael Shanklin. My problem really now is that it seems like debating anarcho-capitalists is becoming kind of pointless. It's not just because you can't convince them of anything, it's that because their ideology is very uh, hard to get your hands on because they change it constantly. There's so many different brands of it, so to speak. So... It's basically a question of whether or not my time might be better served doing something else. But if you guys really want to hear me debate with Michael Shanklin, I'll see if he's still interested or not. Um, So uh, without further ado, thank you everybody for tuning in to this recorded episode. Take care.